When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about baby-led weaning, but specifically how to introduce allergenic foods to your baby. We're going to talk about when to do that, the nine foods that account for 90% of food allergies. How do you introduce them? We're going to talk about what to look for in a food allergy. So to have this conversation, I have Katie Ferraro. Let me tell you a little bit about Katie. She is a registered dietitian specializing in baby-led weaning. She is a mom of seven. Yes, you heard me correctly, seven. She has a singleton, twins, and then a set of quadruplets, seven kids. She knows something about feeding people. And she teaches nutrition at San Diego State University, and she hosts the top-rated parenting podcast, Baby-Led Weaning Made Easy. Katie runs the largest digital community dedicated to baby-led weaning, and she helps parents, caregivers, and healthcare providers give their babies a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. And of course, you can find her at Baby-Led Wean Team. Now, Katie goes into some great detail about specifically the nine foods that account for 90% of food allergens. So if you this is really ringing, resonating for you, grab a pen and paper or get your computer out because she gives some wonderful tips of how to introduce these foods and even food ideas for introducing them. I think it's really, really an intelligent way and a calming way to introduce foods that for some people they're anxious about. And Katie just puts you at ease. Now, before we get to this really fantastic conversation with Katie, I just want to talk about some of the things happening at PYC. So we've maintained our online schedule of prenatal classes seven days a week, and then in studio six days a week. So we've got a lot of prenatal yoga for you. So whether you're doing it in New York City with us or online, we are here to support you. And of course, we've got postnatal yoga, baby and me, and all our workshops. And don't forget to check out our on-demand workshops. So you can take them on your time whenever you want. And then one other thing I just want to mention, we're heading into the late spring when we're going to do our our once a year online yoga postnatal teacher training. And then starting up in September, we're going to do two in-studio prenatal teacher trainings and two online. And some people have already started signing up for the online late fall training. So I think it's going to fill up pretty quickly again this year. So grab your spot 
all of this information, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And then the, I, I said the last thing, so very last thing. If I haven't covered a topic that you're excited about or you want to hear me go deeper into, let me know. What I love doing is hearing topics from students or part of the community, and I will search out a reputable expert to speak on that. So let me know if there's something I haven't covered, or maybe I did cover it and you just want a different perspective or just want to hear about it again. Now, if you are a speaker or you know someone that you think would be a great speaker for our podcast here, have them fill out an application at prenatalyogacenter.com. All right, I think that's it. So we're going to take a super quick break. and we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Katie. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Deb? I'm great. I am really excited to connect with you. So I know your peeps reached out to come on the podcast and then I did a deep dive and I'm thinking, as I started looking, I thought, wow, she's fascinating. (laughs) Is it seven kids that you have? I do. I have seven. And actually today is my youngest. My twins are my youngest and they just turned five today. Oh and my gosh. The girl twin was like, we need to have more babies. And I was like, we do not need to have more babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I looked into you. I'm like, she is just fascinating. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about food allergies and baby led weaning. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what led you towards being a registered dietitian specializing in baby led weaning. Well, I am honored to be here. I am a huge fan of your podcast, so this is really fun to be able to chat with you. And I'm a registered dietitian. My mom is actually a dietitian, which is how I got interested in nutrition. I'm the oldest of six kids, and I always admired how she was able to help us at home, but also still run her own business. And it's funny because my mom works in long-term care and has a long-term care consulting practice, so like kind of the end of the life cycle. And I work with infants, Uh babies who are just starting solid foods between six and 12 months of age. And there's actually surprisingly a lot of similarities, but I never knew what baby led weaning was as a new mom. My husband and I had our first baby when I was about 35. So, you know, when they start calling you, what's it, geriatric and advanced maternal age. (laughs) That was me too. (laughs) And I had a singleton first, my daughter Molly, and we really struggled with spoon feeding because I just followed my doctor's advice at four months of age and just started force feeding her rice cereal. I thought that's what everyone did. And she hated mealtimes and our mealtimes just became this downright battleground. So kind of at the height of our feeding frustration, we found out we were pregnant with quadruplets. Oh my God. And I had been doing fertility treatments. So like the possibility for a multiples pregnancy was there, but we were never expecting four. And I remember the first time I saw all four of them on the ultrasound, I thought, you know, how am I going to feed four babies at once when I can't even feed the one baby I have at home? So fast forward and the quadruplets were born at 34 weeks gestation. We had three boys and one girl. They're seven now. And they spent their first few months in the NICU, you know, getting stronger and friends would come help hold the babies and feed them. And I remember just like whining about our older be at home being like, I can't feed her. She doesn't want to eat. She hates me. She hates being spoon fed. And I remember 
like such a failure because like what sort of mom can't feed her own baby, including, you know, I'm a dietitian. This is what's supposed to come naturally. So one of my colleagues said, well, why don't you try baby led weaning? And I was like, baby linguini, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this. She said, it's this alternative to traditional adult-led spoon feeding, whereby the babies learn to feed themselves the age-appropriate foods that their families make. And I was like, oh, like no no force feeding, no short order cooking, no picky eating, kind of sounded too good to be true. I'm also a college nutrition professor, so thankfully I could kind of lean on my feeding colleagues in higher ed, and they were telling me like, no, there's actually research to support this idea of waiting until six months and letting babies feed themselves. So when the quads turned six months age adjusted, we kind of went all in on baby led weaning. And I have to say it was such a far more positive foray into solid foods than we had had with our oldest. And it was really such a transformative experience doing baby led weaning that I actually decided to shift the entire focus of my nutrition career and focus exclusively on baby led weaning. And then we went on to have, I wanted, we wanted to have one more. I didn't feel done. And we ended up having two. So we actually had twins after the quads. There was a period there where we had seven children, three and under. It was absolute ma'am. I do not recommend it. However, we made it through and we ended up doing baby led weaning with the twins as well. And for the quads, I had realized they actually ate a hundred foods before they turned one. And I kind of turned this whole idea of a hundred first foods into a digital program. And it's kind of grown into this global phenomenon now where we've helped tens of thousands of families give their babies a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning and the hundred first foods approach that I created in 2016. So we kind of refined the hundred first foods approach when I did baby led weaning with Gus and Hannah, my little twins who just turned five today. And so we've just been jamming on this whole 100 First Foods idea and helping babies all over the world eat modified versions of the same foods the rest of their family eats, which you know saves you time, saves you money, saves you sanity. And I just love it. Also, because babies oh, don't I wish talk we had done, back to you. I have I, bigger kids now. Yeah. And they talk I wish back. we had done that a little bit more. So we've said the word baby led weaning a lot, but someone out there might be like, okay, I hear you say it, but what is it? So how I would you describe it? Easiest, I think the easiest way to describe baby led weaning is that it's an alternative to conventional adult led spoon feeding. So with the baby led weaning approach, babies learn to feed themselves the wholesome, safe foods that are offered by their parents and caregivers. And what I love about it is it's a responsive feeding method. It supports your baby's inborn ability and desire to be an active participant Mm -hmm. in this transition to solid foods. So the baby led weaning movement was started by Jill Rapley. She's a British health visitor. She's the co-author of the original baby led weaning book, which was first published in 2008. And what Jill Rapley advocated for was really waiting until babies are six months of age and demonstrating then those other reliable signs of readiness to eat. And that was in stark contrast to earlier practices where we had seen parents being recommended to start solid foods at or sometimes even before four months of age. So we've Mm -hmm. had this whole like sea change in the, in the recent decades pushing the recommendation that we don't start solid foods until six months of age, right? The World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, ACOG, everyone recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the six. They all recommend exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months of life, which we know helps meet a baby's nutrition needs. And then after that period is when we introduce the complementary foods. Mm, Yeah, that's what I did with my kids. I have an 11 and a nine-year-old. And I remember waiting for the six months. I also remember the first food we gave him was avocado. We put down a whole, I think it was like a shower curtain and stuck him in the middle, gave him avocado. We're like, go. And it was So you basically did baby led weaning, Dad. I mean, that's it right there. It's, you know, and I think what's so interesting about this approaches. It is one of the few things that appeals to a second-time parent, right? First-time parent, you buy 
everything under the sun and the registry and the whole nine. And then with the second baby, you're like, what does this baby actually need to live? You know, and you realize you don't need a lot of the gear and the gasm. Oh, yeah. You know, the get all the stuff out there. You just babies need food and they're going to start reaching for the food on your plate when they're ready. Yep. And you realize, oh, my gosh, that's totally, you know, what we've done. Because that term baby led weaning, it's a relatively new term and a parenting phenomenon. But the approach and the philosophy is millennia old, right? Because different cultures and ethnic groups around the world historically offered and continue to offer their babies just modified versions of the same foods that the rest of the family eats. It's just this idea of commercial baby food, which is a largely Western construct. It's really only been available since like the earlier part of the 20th century. Like what I always tell parents, like, what do you think cave mama fed cave baby before there's like an entire aisle of baby food pouches at Target, like modified versions of the same foods the rest of the family eats. And that's what we do with this approach. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. So let's shift gears and start to talk about some of the new and updated guidelines about introducing allergenic foods for babies. I remember when I was so nervous to give my son peanuts and my uh, pediatrician said, all right, just do it during the day and keep an eye on him. And if you think you need to reach out, just reach out. And I'm like, that's it. And she's like, that's it. But I'm curious what the new guidelines are. So what are some of the most significant changes in these new guidelines compared to what they were before? So I think it depends, you know, before sometimes parents will say, you know, my doctor is telling me things like don't introduce egg white until the baby turns one. You know, what's your thoughts, Katie? And I was like, well, my thoughts are get a new pediatrician because that's advice that's over 20 years old. And if I think back to when, you know, I was in dietitian school over 20 years ago, the guidance was wait, wait until after the baby turns one with based on absolutely no scientific evidence. We just told parents, huh, maybe introducing these allergenic foods increases the risk of food allergy. And yet we've learned in recent years and now updated guidelines reflect something totally different, which is actually that the earlier introduction of those potentially allergenic foods has thought to help reduce the risk of food allergy. And we have very strong data for this for peanut and good data for milk and for egg. And for all of the rest of the allergenic foods, we now know that there's absolutely no benefits waiting to introduce these Mm. foods. So parents are leading to learn, oh my gosh, you know, now I have to start solid foods, but we also know we need to introduce those allergenic foods early and often. So we promote a food first approach where we teach parents how to make safe versions of the allergenic foods so that starting at six months of age, you can be offering your baby these allergenic foods in order to help reduce the risk of food allergy. Because there's so much we don't know about food allergy, but the only modifiable risk factor, the only thing you can do as a parent to lower your baby's risk of food allergy down the road is to actually introduce these allergenic foods early and often. And while much of the medical establishment has, has caught up and they're definitely recommending these updated guidelines and these new standards, we still do see practitioners who are saying really outdated things like waiting. And that's we know that that's not true. We need to be doing these allergenic foods early and often. All right. So in the past, just so listeners are super clear, if they hear their care provider say, wait a year to introduce peanuts or egg whites, that is now outdated. And we're saying, and you're saying now around six months as, as solids are being introduced, there's no reason to wait, just introduce it with every other type of food that you're introducing. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. Now, right. one thing we recommend yeah. is I, I, we teach, we introduce five new foods a week in our program, and I have a five-step feeding framework. Each week, we introduce one food from each of the food categories. So you might do a new fruit on Monday, a vegetable on Tuesday, a starchy food on Wednesday. We do proteins on Thursday, and then an allergenic food on Friday. That's starting in week one. So really, within the first nine weeks of starting solid foods, you can have knocked out all of the big nine allergenic foods. Those are the nine foods that account for about 90% of food allergy. And we do do one new allergenic food a week. And sometimes parents will be like, well, wait a minute. My doctor told me I need to wait three to five days between introducing allergenic foods. And that's another fallacy that we see a lot in um, medical practice is that there's no research or scientific evidence to support this idea of waiting three to five days between foods. If your baby's going to have an allergic reaction to food, it's going to occur within minutes and up to no more than two hours following ingestion. So it's not like you feed your baby fish and then three days later there's a funky diaper and you're like, oh my gosh, they must be allergic to fish. It doesn't work like that. The vast majority of those reactions occur within minutes and up to no more than two hours. So we'll do that allergenic food two or three times on Friday, two or three times on Saturday, two or three times on Sunday. We just don't do two new allergenic foods at the same time, right? Like let's say you did wheat and egg and babies never had exposure to either of those. You do them together for the first time and then they have an allergic reaction. How would you know which of those foods caused it? So there's only nine allergenic foods. Those are the only ones we kind of take a little pause on, but the rest of the new foods, there's absolutely no reason why you can't introduce one new food a day or even multiple new foods a day for those lower risk foods. So what if someone introduces one of the allergenic foods, what should they be watching for? So we often, so we remind parents that the real risk of having an allergic reaction is quite low. There are certain babies who are at higher risk for having food allergies, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're at high risk. So we teach parents what to look out for in an allergic reaction. And most of the time, if a baby is having an allergic reaction to a new food, it will be from one of those big nine allergenic foods, although of course babies can be allergic to all sorts of foods, but the big nine are the one we focus on because they account for about 90% of food allergy. So let's say you're doing egg for the first time. Generally, if there is an allergic reaction, it will present with some sort of skin involvement, and that's usually hives, which we describe as red, raised, itchy patches. Now, those look different on different skin color babies. So we teach how to identify, especially we do a lot of work with healthcare practitioners and teaching parents what to look for. So there's some sort of skin involvement. Now there's lots of reasons why babies can get, you know, either a topical rash on their face when they're trying new foods. And if it, if you baby has some sort of skin involvement and it goes away on their own, it's not necessarily a sign of true food allergy because usually that allergic reaction will be accompanied by another sign. And the other signs include things like profuse vomiting or diarrhea. There might be swelling. The baby might be just flipping out like your normally totally chill baby is freaking out, not themselves. Or there can be um, GI involvement. There can be difficulty in labored breathing. So if you see any of those along with the skin symptoms, then that could be a cause for concern. But just a rash on the face or a rash around the body that goes away on its own, not necessarily sign of a true food allergy. And we also have to keep in mind that, you know, our babies aren't learning how to eat foods in a vacuum. There are other developmental things going on. Teething being a very long process, right? And when babies are teething, there's lots of drool. The drool comes into contact with the comp in the foods that they're trying, touches the face, boom, baby's got a rash on their face. But again, not necessarily a sign of a true food allergy or an allergic reaction. So you outlined what to look for for a true food allergy and reaction. What should a parent do if they see that? Do they call the doctor? Do they call 911? I guess it depends on the severity. What are your thoughts? 
So we always advise parents before we start new foods, first and foremost, we always talk about taking an infant refresher CPR course. Sometimes parents get confused between things like gagging and choking, or if the baby's gagging, they're like, is this an allergic reaction? We really want parents to know the signs and symptoms of gagging, which is a natural and necessary part of learning how to eat, and then choking, which obviously is a life-threatening incident. So we advise parents to take you know, infant refresher CPR course. So hopefully they have basic CPR skills. And you know, in the prenatal period, parents are always taking CPR before they have the baby. We always say, you know, six months after you have the baby, it's a good idea to do that refresher course. So knowing basic CPR is key, but also knowing your baby's risk factors. So sometimes parents say, oh, I'm nervous about food allergy and allergic reactions. Say, okay, let's unpack that. Why are you nervous? Let's let's assess your baby's true risk status. And in particular for peanuts, again, peanut of all the allergenic foods is the one that we know the most about. And we know that the only babies who are considered to be at high risk for having peanut allergy are those who either A, already have an egg allergy and or B, have severe eczema. And we're learning a lot about this link between severe eczema and food allergy risk. Not just your run-of-the-mill eczema like all babies have. If your baby has egg allergy and or severe eczema, you're at high risk for peanut allergy. And in many cases, you're probably already being followed by a pediatric allergist or by a pediatric dermatologist. And they would have separate guidelines for those babies for the introduction of allergenic foods and in particular peanut. But for everybody else, we tell them the only way to know if your baby's going to have an allergic reaction is to offer the food to the baby. Mm-hmm. And the parents will be like, that's scary. You're telling me to offer a food that could potentially cause an allergic reaction. But we know that introducing that allergenic food, that's the only thing we can do as parents and caregivers to reduce the baby's risk of food allergy. And while anaphylaxis is certainly very serious, we also remind parents that death from anaphylaxis in infancy is almost all but unheard of. There certainly are cases, but they are very, very few and far between. Anaphylactic reactions get more serious the older your child gets. So it actually behooves you to offer these foods early and often when the baby's immune system is getting ready to handle all of these different proteins and figuring out what's going on and keeping parents reminded that it can sound scary, but the real risk of your baby having an allergic reaction is quite low. And if it happens, you take pictures, you call your primary care provider. You may in many cases have to go to urgent care or the emergency room where they would administer an epinephrine shot. And then if you follow up and you do testing to a food your baby has reacted to and the baby's allergic, the guidance is to avoid that food. We have lots of education out there about all of the other foods your baby can eat because it can be scary to say, oh, your baby can't have this food, but we like to focus on all of the other foods that your baby can eat, even if they have food allergies. And we have many families who've done 100 first foods before their baby turns one, even with really severe food allergies. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you've mentioned the nine allergenic foods. I want to dig into that. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We're back. All right. So I think I heard you mentioned, uh, mention egg whites and peanuts. What are the other nine foods that account for 90% of food allergies? So we call them the big nine and it's the protein component of the food. If a baby's going to be or a person is going to be allergic to a food, it's the protein part of it. But we talk about the whole food because we take a whole food approach and we don't just feed babies egg whites. We feed them eggs, right? Because the egg yolk has the iron and all the other good nutrition in there. But so the big nine allergenic foods are the nine foods that account for about 90% of food allergy. And there's no particular order you need to go in. We just want you to try to introduce all of these allergenic foods to your baby early and often. And we'll talk about what that means, but generally trying to get them in by at least 11 months of age. There's some new research emerging that kind of shows us that this protective window appears to close around 11 months of age. So sometime between six and 11 months of age, try to feed your baby these nine foods. The big nine foods are peanut, egg, milk, wheat, fish, tree nut, soy, shellfish. And then the most recently added one is number nine, which is sesame. If you look at some older Mm. data, they used to call it the big eight, and now it's the big nine. But again, those nine in totality represent about 90% of food allergy. Now, you could be allergic to other foods, certainly, but when parents start working through the list and they're knocking those ones out, their baby's loving all these new foods, the fear factor kind of subsides when they realize like, oh, no, they really can tolerate this and they're enjoying eating it and I can make these foods safe for my baby to eat. But we don't need to buy any fancy supplement programs or powders that you mix in your baby's bottle or rice cereal. We don't do that sort of stuff because babies can learn to eat safe versions of all of these foods starting from six months of age. As you went through that list, I literally was thinking of like, oh, that child, (laughs) I had my kids' friends. I'm like, oh, that child has that one, that child has that one, that child has that one. So, and I think most of these kids found out later. So what kind of foods are you introducing? Like, are you throwing a shrimp on the plate? You're like, here you go. Like, how are you introducing these allergens to them? That's a great question because parents say, well, which one should I do first? And we, I have done all of the nine allergenic foods in the first week with nine different babies just to show parents, you know, from a content creation standpoint, listen, you can make shrimp safe for babies. You can make fish. The easiest ones to start with, my recommendation for parents, though, are peanut, egg, and milk. You don't have to, but those are the three most common pediatric food allergies. Those are the ones that we have fairly good data about the preventive effects of offering them early and often. So when we're doing egg, for example, with baby led weaning, we offer foods to babies that are soft cooked strips of food that are about the size of your adult pinky finger. So a really simple way to do egg is just to fry an egg. I generally break the yolk into the white and kind of mix it around there. We want baby getting that good nutrition that's in the egg yolk, the iron and the B vitamins, some of the other minerals. And then we also want them to get the white because that's where the protein is. So you don't have to separate the egg and the white and mix it all together. Fry the egg until it's set. Cut it into strips about the size of your adult pinky finger. Generally put it in a suction mat or a bowl. The baby uses their whole hand or their palmer grasp because they don't have their pincer grasp yet when they're just starting out. That whole hand grasp to rake and scoop the strips of egg up and into their mouth. And they can eat fried egg strips starting at around six months of age. That's a really easy one 
to start with if you're just looking for one. Another one that's easy for parents is cow's milk protein. So milk is one of the big nine. And if your baby's formula fed, you've been giving them cow's milk protein because that's the base of commercial infant formula. But for our exclusively breastfed babies, we want to get that cow's milk protein in early and often. And yogurt is a wonderful way to do that. You don't need to buy any fancy baby yogurt. A lot of times baby yogurt is kind of ironic. Sugar. They add sugar to it. It's crazy. Yeah. Like babies can eat real yogurt, full fat, whole milk, plain yogurt. They need that fat for their still developing brain. Plain, meaning that it's not vanilla or anything with added sugar. And then we put it on a preloaded spoon. We put the baby led weaning spoon in the baby's hand and they can bring that spoon to their mouth. They're learning how to feed themselves from a spoon because baby led weaning doesn't mean skipping purees. I mean, if you have a naturally pureed food like yogurt, we teach this preloaded spoon technique and your exclusively breastfed babies can get cow's milk protein from yogurt. Okay. So what about, gonna, yeah, keep going. I if you don't mind. Too. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So, um, peanut is another one that parents are like, well, wait a minute. I thought peanut butter is a choking hazard and thick globs of nut butters or intact nuts are choking hazards. And we don't offer those to early eaters because they can get stuck on the roof or the sides of the mouth, potentially choking, occluding the airway, but we can thin out peanut butter. So if you take uh smooth, meaning not crunchy, so smooth, unsweetened, unsalted peanut butter, you that's sticky. If you put it on your adult spoon and flip your spoon upside down, that's not going to fall off easily. That means it's too sticky for the early eater. But you can thin that out. You can mix it with breast milk or formula or unsweetened applesauce. You get it nice and thin so it slides off your adult spoon. And you can put that on a preloaded spoon. The baby, they love to eat the little baby peanut butter. And again, you don't have to buy any special foods. You're just modifying the food you already probably have in your household. You can also make little pancakes with peanut flour. Um, we use these unsweetened, unsalted baby peanut puffs that dissolve really easily in your baby's mouth. They can pick it up and feed themselves. So that's some easy ways to do peanut. And for wheat, we generally do pasta because, you know, a lot of breads that are out there are mm-hmm. way too high in salt for babies. Plus, um, they some of them with their refined white grains, they can make, you know, a little bolus that gets stuck in the baby's mouth. So I don't love bread for early eaters, but nice soft cooked pasta. Semolina flour is the only ingredient in pasta and it's a source of wheat and can have lots of other great whole grain options for offering babies wheat. And for fish, something as simple as salmon, just always check for bones, remove the skin. But those fatty fish with that extra fat makes it so nice and easy for baby to swallow it. Babies love eating flakes of fish. For tree nut, we can do kind of thinning out the almond butter or nut butters the same way you would do the peanut butter and offering that off of a preloaded spoon. Soy is a no-brainer. We generally do tofu. Babies love tofu. And even if you don't like tofu, like literally, you guys, you buy a block of tofu, you cut it into strips about the size of your adult pinky finger. Babies go crazy for it. And tofu is a high iron food. It's a great plant protein. It doesn't have any salt in it. And it's a safe way to offer your baby soy. And shellfish kind of tends to be the trickiest one. We have lots of great recipes that we do for babies, generally like kind of Start modified with some crab lobster. cakes. <laughs> Yeah, no, we Start do a lot of times high. for our families. They'll do lobster as their hundredth food. Lobster is a nice, wonderful, especially with extra butter on that, oh, as long it's as it's delicious. unsalted. Yeah. And then sesame is one, like depending upon what your food culture or background is, some parents are like, I don't have any idea how to feed sesame. Well, tahini. But, um, tahini, exactly. So tahini, which is just sesame paste, it's a base of hummus. We generally don't do commercial hummus from the store because it's way too high make, in salt. But can, you can you make, make like, your we, own. We've done that. I was, but it has, oh, it's, it's so not easy. as, I don't get it as soft as when we buy it. You need a lot of olive, a lot of olive oil. Well, maybe I'm not so adding tahini olive oil. is hard because okay. you're refrigerating it. It's, it's like the consistency of peanut butter, but you put it in a blender or just with a 
if you're pretty strong with your own whisk, tahini, olive oil. And then if you have a blender or food processor, we generally, a lot of times we'll make like homemade baby led weaning hummus where we'll do like a can of white beans or you know, any beans that you have on hand, wonderful high source of iron and plant protein. You can make your own baby hummus at home and you use it as a dipper or a topper for low sodium crackers or they can practice off that preloaded spoon. Now, like for the rest of the family, you're probably going to want to add some salt because it's pretty tough to swat. doesn't taste that great without the salt, but babies don't care and they're yeah, learning how they to taste know. the flavors of the food. Yep. So tahini is a wonderful one for introducing sesame to your baby. See, this is perfect. So now I feel like listeners out there, I hope you took notes. If not, pause, rewind, take notes, because this is a great way to see how accessible it is to start to introduce these nine foods. So you've mentioned a few times introducing early and often. So how does that exactly, maybe I'm getting a little too geeky, how does that bring the risk down of allergies down the road? Is it because the body just gets used to it or what's the science behind it? Well, parents get frustrated sometimes with that guidance. Like, hold up, you're telling me to introduce it early and often. So how early and how often and how many grams of the different proteins does the baby need to really reduce risk? And the answer is scientists honestly don't know that yet. So much is changing in the world of food allergy research, and we're moving in this direction of, wow, introduction of these proteins early and often appears to help reduce risk. And as I mentioned earlier, there's absolutely no benefit to withholding these foods. So if you think, well, I'm kind of nervous, I'm just not going to do them, that doesn't fly. You got to introduce them early and often. Now, early meaning prior to six months of age, babies aren't safe to eat anything except breast milk or formula because they're not sitting up independently on their own, right? And we know that infant milk is sufficient to meet baby's needs for the first six months of life. Now, there's that little small group that's at high risk for peanut allergy, and there's some data showing that they might actually benefit from early introduction of peanuts prior to six months of age. So you really need to work with your primary care provider on how to do that safely. But the vast majority of the population who's not at high risk for peanut allergy wait until six months of age, and then we start doing these allergenic foods. I recommend doing one a week, right down the list of the nine starting at six months of age or wherever you are in your weaning journey, start introducing one of those allergenic foods. We generally do it, I like to do it six or seven times across the course of a weekend with no other new foods, but we, you do want to continue to introduce your baby or keep showing them the familiar foods, those low risk foods that they already know and like and love. But the more you try it, the more confident you'll get and you'll realize, oh my gosh, my baby can safely eat all of these foods. But exactly like how many grams of, let's say, fish protein they need, we don't know that data yet. And so sometimes parents that get served a lot of targeted ads about these fancy, expensive supplement subscription model programs that tell you, I'm going to give your baby X amount of fish protein and Y amount of the protein from eggs. And at the end of the day, all of the research that shows us that the benefits of introducing allergenic foods early and often to lower food allergy risk, those studies have all been done using food. And so we should be using food to teach babies how to eat food, right? We don't need to go around about buying a bunch of expensive supplements. So I'd really encourage parents to lean into this food-first approach and give your baby the portions of the food that you think that they might eat, right? One day they eat a lot of it, the next day they eat nothing. After their nap, they look at you like they've never tried it, even though they were loving it before <laughs> their nap. And that's why we do it often, right? Because we know that babies may need to see a food 10 or 15 times before they like or accept it. So there's really something to be said for repeat exposures, but waiting until they're safe to start solid foods, which is around six months of age. All right, I have two follow-up questions that popped in my head. And maybe you don't know the answer because this might be a little um, more for a, a care provider, but is there any relationship between, say, a sibling has a food allergy? Is there any relationship to the idea that a, a new child would have something similar? 
Yes, there is a genetic factor at play, or so scientists think, that a baby can be at higher risk for food allergy if a first-degree family member also has a food allergy. So the key there is higher, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're at high risk. So we have lots of families where there's an older child who may have diagnosed food allergies and the baby is eating all of the allergenic foods and absolutely no food allergy. And then of course there's families where there are older children with food allergies and the baby might have different or even similar food allergies. One thing that's nice for the families that do have the older sibling who has food allergies is a lot of times they're already very aware of what an allergic reaction looks like. And they're a little bit on heightened alert. They also tend to be kind of looped in with a care provider who's already, you know, experienced in practicing pediatric food allergy and best practices. And those families have a little bit of extra support, which is nice because yes, the risk may be higher, but it doesn't necessarily mean your baby is at high risk for having food allergy just because another family member does have that food allergy. Mm-hmm. All right. So sorry, another follow-up question is, so I might, we might have a listener right now, their child is, I don't know, a year, more than a year, and they haven't really started that whole list of nine. Is there any point where like it's starting to get too late or they have to be more precautious how what are your thoughts on those that have already waited so we always tell parents that there's no time like the present to increase the variety of foods that your child is seeing and the exposures of those foods. And that we do know that there is some degree of picky eating or food neophobia that sets in in the second year of life. And those of you with toddlers are like, heck yeah, I know what she's talking about. My baby used to eat everything and now my toddler doesn't like as many of those foods. And that's very typical, just so you know, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's actually developmentally appropriate for toddlers to be exhibiting some degree of picky eating. However, it's still on us as parents to be incorporating and offering a variety of foods because we know that repeated exposure to some degree may have some effect on lowering food allergy risk down the road. Now, some science is saying, oh, that food allergy protective window looks like it's closing at around 11 months of age, but that's, you know, relatively new data and we don't know for certain and there's no downside to continuing to offer these foods. And one thing I love about baby led weaning is a lot of times it's the second time parents who really pick it up because they're like, I'm dealing with this picky eating toddler. I want to ro- lower that risk of picky eating with the next baby. And if you can get that toddler involved in prepper, in preparing the foods for the baby or even trying them, you sometimes can increase their exposures as well. But I know it's tough out there in the toddler world because mm-hmm. they do get more selective, but I just want parents to know that that's very typical. And again, no harm in trying to offer a variety of foods and work those allergenic foods in there if you can, because they're good sources of protein. Some of them are good sources of iron. And we want to be offering foods from all different food groups instead of just like, you know, fruits and refined white carbs, which is kind of what one-year-olds like. My nine-year-old's the same way. All right. All right. So we're going to take one more break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are back. Now, you have <laughs> the background of having seven kids as well as your expertise in baby led weaning. So, which 
which hat do you want to put on when you're offering your final tip or piece of advice? I think if you're a new parent and you're nervous about introducing allergenic foods, is just to keep that piece of advice in the back of your mind that this is the only thing I can do to lower my baby's risk of food allergy. And we're not saying that any babies that have food allergy that the parents caused it. That's certainly not it. But if we look at, you know, the different factors that contribute to food allergy risk, we don't have control over a lot of them, right? Like you don't control your genetics. Sorry. You don't control environmental exposures. You don't control some of the other factors that may be contributing to increased food allergy risk. But the one thing you do control are the foods that you're offering to your baby. And so if you can incorporate those big nine allergenic foods, get them in early, get them in often, preferably by around 11 months of age if you can swing it. That's really the only thing you can do. You're doing your best job to help lower your baby's risk of food allergy, even though it might seem a little scary to do so. That is great advice. And this has been so wonderful. I feel like you've offered so much to listeners. Where can people find your work? Well, if you're interested in learning more about how to do this baby led weaning approach safely, or if you want to grab a copy of my 100 first foods list, it's got all the big nine allergenic foods on there and 91 other foods your baby can eat before one. I teach a free online workshop each week called baby led weaning for beginners. And if you sign up, it's at fortifiedfam.com slash yoga. So fortified F-A-M dot com slash yoga. You can sign up for this week's one hour online video workshop trainings and grab a copy of that hundred first foods list as well. This is great. And of course we will have all this in our show notes. Katie, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. You have offered this information in such a digestible way that parents that are a little apprehensive, I think you have calmed them down. So thank you for all you do. My pleasure, Deb. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.